We'll grab a seat and I'll pray and get into God's word here. Father, we thank you for your church that you build and that we stand on because of Christ. Pray as we open your word this morning that it would illumine truth in our lives as a church, that we would see that all we need is Christ, that all our church needs is Christ. And Lord, we know that we come in, many of us this morning, with heavy hearts and the troubles and the things of this world. Remind us that your spirit is at work, that you are still present, that we can rest and trust in you and the finished work of Christ. Lord, I pray for this morning. I pray that we mark the time in our church's history, church's life, that we are reminded again of the great truths of your word as we move forward into the next 10 years of our church. Lord, we thank you. For your work, we thank you for your spirit and enables the counsels that works in and through us. We ask that you be with us as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me just come out of the shoes this morning and ask you a penetrating question. Are you a praying person? Do you pray? Who do you pray for? What do you pray for? Do you pray for your church? What are the things that you pray for your church? And let me ask you a different kind of question about prayer. How do you pray? Are you the person that has a prayer journal and the best way for you to articulate your thoughts to God in prayer is a journal? Or perhaps it's kind of a quasi-journal where you're just writing down the things that you want to pray for. God brings to mind going back to those things. Or are you just kind of stream of consciousness? Are you the person who tries to pray without ceasing and it's more just of a conversation, a verbal conversation? I'll tell you, I'm the second of the two. Um, maybe that's on par with the things that I like to do. I'm not much of a writer. I use Grammarly all the time to write. I get other people to write for me. And so that's the way in which I commune with God and pray to God is verbally. But every so often, on a special occasion, I write out prayers. When I think about the couple that often write out prayers, they're deeply meaningful in those situations or perhaps a memorial service where I'm willing to think about how God might want to use the Spirit of God in prayer to encourage someone. When someone's going through hardship, those are times and occasions. And we come to a special occasion this morning thinking about a 10-year anniversary and I want to show you a prayer, not that I wrote, but another man wrote to a church that I think will be a blessing to you. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 9 through 14. And this isn't just any prayer that anyone writes. This is Paul writing to the Colossian church. This is the Word of God. This is inspired Word of God. And this church had some problems. This church was asking the question, is Jesus enough? Is the knowledge of Christ enough? Is the power of Christ enough? Because you see, in that day, there were those around the church that were saying, no, Christ isn't enough. The knowledge of Christ isn't enough. You need more. You need more mystery. And we can share that mystery with you. You need more power to help you live this life. But Paul prays for this Colossian church. And this prayer has some great truths in it. As we think about the next 10 years of 
our church. It has some great truths that were true for the Colossian church that are true for us, that we be a praying church. And you know, sometimes prayers, we think about prayers as meaty prayers, and sometimes they're just medium. And when you think about praying for your church, I hope you think about the meat-like prayers that Paul's going to pray for this church. I think this is instructive, not only for us, but it also gives us as a church some rails to run on, if you will. So Colossians chapter 1, and it will be in verses 9 through 14. I want to show you three rich truths in this prayer. Let me read it for us this morning. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. This is Paul to the church in Colossae. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking first that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, literally, the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Much to learn from Paul's prayer, the first thought that comes to us is in verse 9, and here it is, that we would pray to know God truly, and deeply through His Word. To know God truly and deeply through His Word. The backdrop here is interesting when you think about this area of the world and what the Colossian church was dealing with. There was a group of people called the Gnostics. That's where we get the word knowledge from. They were called the Gnostics and they were a first century group of folks that said, yeah, there's Christ, but there's a deeper knowledge. You, you have to be a part of the secret church club to get that knowledge. And they presented to Christians, yeah, there's Jesus, but there's plus. Jesus plus our knowledge. And it's, you see this in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. If you just turn there really quickly, I think the words are on the screen. Listen to what Paul says when he's talking about these folks. He says that he's praying for the Colossian church, and he says he's praying that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, verse 2, to reach all the fullness of assurance, of understanding, and knowledge of God's mystery. You'll see the word fullness, or full, or filled, all the way through the book of Colossians, because these Gnostics were saying, no, you're not full yet. You're not full. We can fill you up. But here Paul is saying, no, there's an understanding and a knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. It's not something else, it's Christ. And whom are in all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so all of that is found in Christ, and here it is. And I say this in order that no one may delude you, the Gnostics, with plausible arguments. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one, the Gnostics, take you captive by philosophy and empty the seed according to human tradition, according to the elementary, elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Look at in verse 9. I don't think you have it there, but it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him. You ever, on social media, you know, 
you know, on your phone, they just have your number, like the algorithms of your phone, if you're talking about things, all of a sudden you see an ad on Amazon for something that you want to buy. Or you go to a social media page and you're like, man, that's exactly what I was just looking at in a different place. They have the algorithm. They know what you want. And so for me, I go on Facebook or different places, and it's like how to have you know, the right golf swing when your body is breaking down at age 40. So there's clickbait that's particular to you and particular to me. And the temptation in that is to click on that. It's like, hey, I'm going to give you one way to hit the golf ball 20 yards further. I'm going to give you one way to lose 20 pounds. There's that one food that you just wouldn't eat that would change your whole life. And you click it. And you click it. And there's nothing there. And they just keep leading you down until you pay money to really find out the answer to something you probably already know. It's clickbait. And listen, in the first century, like today, there's always religious clickbait. There's always, sometimes it's not even a form of religion. Sometimes it is cultural clickbait. Sometimes it's empty philosophy. And it's always out there for the church to struggle with knowing. And if you look around today, there's all kinds of cultural clickbait out there that it seeps into the church. There is culture, the cultural climate and the philosophies of the world that creep into the church. But we need to know God truly. And we need to know God deeply in His Word. Look at verse 9. Turn back and look at verse 9. And this is what you see. Paul praying for this church. This is our prayer for us. In verse 9. So he's continually praying with all these things. First of all, asking that you may be what? Look at verse 9. Filled. That you may be filled with knowledge. See, the Gnostics were all about knowledge. But they weren't about this word. Epignosis. Epignosis is different. It's true knowledge. Not just the knowledge of some random clickbait mystery. But this is true knowledge from God. And they would have seen it as that. That you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In all spiritual wisdom. Wisdom is just knowledge applied and understanding. And so here's what Paul's saying to the Colossian church in this prayer. He's saying... God is not holding out on you. He's not holding out some extra knowledge that you need to have wisdom and understanding. He's given it all to you in His Word and in the person of Jesus Christ. That you don't need something more. Do you remember the garden? I mean, that's, that's the deal, right? The serpent came and said, there's something better. You need something more. And they fell into sin. This is a temptation for us as well. You see, God's not holding out on us. It's not as though there's this radio dial, this, this control all delete radio dial that we have to look at and find all this other information. No, we've just got to tune our radio, radio dial into God and His Word. And it's there for us. It's always going. It's right here. So what's on your radio, figuratively? What station are you listening to? What preset, presets do you have to know and learn God's word and wisdom and understanding? See, the primary means in which we have to know God is by his word and have it right here. This is God's revelation to us that we might know him. Psalm 119 says it this way, right? The word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. When you read that verse, it's interesting. When I read that verse, 
I think about like the high output lights, like the ones that are staring at me right now. And I think about, hey, God's word is this lamp, this high lamp. It's like I think about, I go to the ranch at, at, at our ranch, and we have these, we have a mule, we have these cubing kind of lights, so we can see everything in the dark. You think about God's word that way. Here's the deal. And that day, the lamp was different. The lamp was just this piece of pottery that was woven a little bit and molded a little bit, and there was olive oil in it, and there was a wick, and it was a little light. And it allowed you to see your next step. The lamp unto your feet, the next step. A light unto your path, the next step. Oftentimes we treat God's Word and say, well, I really have this thing that I want to happen. When we think about God's will, we often think about the promotion, or should I get that loan, or should I not? We think about my future, but in the Scriptures, usually the will of God is more about us knowing Christ or living a life of holiness. That's God's will. And so as we do this, as Augustine said, love God and do what you want. And for the legalist, that's kind of hard. But the reality is, is as we pursue God in His Word, the rest of it takes oftentimes care of itself. And when I think about knowledge... And being filled with knowledge. There's some things that we do sometimes as believers even in Christ that we, we kind of miss on knowledge. Um, I think of three or four different things that we do with knowledge. First, um, we often have the attitude that says, I don't need more knowledge. I've got Jesus. Okay, I've got enough knowledge. And so I don't need more knowledge. I just have Jesus and that's good enough. And it seems as though the Apostle Paul says, hey, they should be eating meat now, but they're still nursing like babies on the Word, that we need to continue to grow and know God through His Word. And so sometimes we fall into the trap and go, hey, I have enough knowledge, and I know Jesus, and that's all I need. And there's so much more to unpack that, to really know who Christ is, and to live for Him. And then there's the opposite thing that we do with knowledge, right? That we want, we, we see knowledge as experience. Like, the knowledge we have of God tends to be just the experience we have. And the weirder the experience we have with God, the more knowledge we think we have of God. And that's a faulty view of this. The Gnostics actually had this view that we seek the experience as knowledge. And that's the better way. If I haven't hit on anything yet, maybe the next two will. Perhaps you pick and choose. Perhaps we know that we know that we need the Word of God, but when the Word of God doesn't match with what we want or what we think the culture and the, the, the thing that is out there in the culture and the thing that we think has a better take on what we need to do in this world, we pick and choose. So we believe the Word of God, but when push comes to shove, we might take a worldly philosophy and say, no, I think I like it that way better. That way is better. The Word of God is not all that I need. And last, if I didn't, haven't hit you yet in this, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender here. We often do with knowledge, we seek it, and we want it, and we follow it away, but we really don't have aim, really in our hearts, to practice it. When we come to church, and we come to community, and we have a lot of knowledge, we're like the Bible knowledge person, but we really don't have an aim in our lives to practice what we know. Can I tell you what kind of church I think we have and what kind of church we want to continue to have and put
pushed further into. I want us as a church to ooze the Bible. I want when you cut us open that we just ooze the Scriptures as a way of life, not just as an end in and of themselves that we might know God through His Word. We might commune with Him. We might live for Him that when we rise up and when we lay down and as we go, that we would be a people that are framed by the Word of God. As Psalm 1 says, that we would meditate on the Word day and night. So that we would be, picture this, that we would be like a tree firmly planted by the stream of water. I want you to think about, have you ever taken a trip to the Guadalupe River? You ever gone to the Frio River? You see those massive cypress trees on the side of the Frio River? Guadalupe River, and they're in your tomb, and you're tubing down, and just hanging out with your family, and you look down in the water, and you see dead trees. And most of them are small. Most of them don't have roots. You know exactly what's happened. You know when the flood came, and the waters came, they didn't make it because the roots weren't deep enough. See, Psalm 1 paints us a great picture of how we need to be rooted in the world, in the Word, because the world is like a flood. The philosophies that are out there to take us captive in the world, if we don't have deep roots, see, in God's Word, in His Son, will drift us away, will rip our little roots out, we want to be a church firmly planted, amen, by the streams of water. And this happens first in the church from the pulpit. We want to be a church that preaches the word, as 2 Timothy says, that the teaching would go out into groups and into families, that we would teach our children, Deuteronomy 6, when they rise up, when they go down, the word of God. But how do we know that we're filled with the knowledge of God? How do we know that? What does it produce? Does it matter for our lives? Is there a connection between belief and knowing the word and our lives and behavior? Orthodoxy should equal orthopraxy. That's effectively what he's saying. Look at verse 10. So this knowledge about Christ and about God's word that they are supposed to know. So, look at the beginning of verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Here's your second idea. Your first idea is to know God truly and deeply through His Word. Your second idea is to rely on the enabling power that God gives us. And you know where we find that? We find that in the Holy Spirit. The enabling power of the Spirit. Not only did the Gnostics of the day promise more mystery of knowledge, they also promised power. That somehow their empty rituals would bring power. Not only that, in, in the day, the Roman Empire said this, we want the God's power to protect us from evil. Go watch a few movies with Rome. We want to protect our family from evil, and not just that, that the gods would help influence and give us wealth and status and money. I mean, that, that's not an empty, deceptive philosophy out there today, is it? That, that we use God for what we want for power and influence and money and status and to protect us. 
So we need to rely on the enabling power of the Spirit. This is what you see in chapter 2, verse 23. Look at it. 2.23, Paul's summarizing. He said, hey, Jesus is enough. And he comes to 23 and he summarizes one of the problems with these Gnostics about power. And he says, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. Just adding rituals to Christ. And severity to the body, but they are of no value. Do you see that? They're of no value. This self-made religious Gnosticism is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So it has no power. You know what Galatians 5 says about the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5 says, walk by the Spirit and you will not, what? You will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And then he lists all the desires of the flesh and then he lists the fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. So the Spirit of God enables us to walk. This is what he's saying in verse 10 and 11. The way that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him, not for our own purposes of wealth and influence and all these things the Gnostics want. We do it to please Him, bearing fruit. This is how bearing fruit works, increasing in the knowledge of God. How? By the strength of with all power according to His glorious mind. Not our strength, but His strength that He gives us through the Spirit. And so, here's what I've seen. Can I tell you what I've seen in this church in the year and a half that I've been here? I've seen a people who want to know God through His Word, through His Son. I've seen a passion for that. I've seen a passion for a church to weather storms as the Hinsons have talked about. That only happens with the enabling power of the Spirit. It's the only way that happens. It's the only way this church is what it is right now, through all the things it's been through, is a people committed to the Word and people committed to walk in the light because of the power that God gives through His Spirit. A, a, a power to care and serve and love and lead. That's what I've seen. And that's a beautiful thing to see in a church. It's a beautiful thing to see the ups and downs of the last year and a half and go, this church is demonstrating not with just what they say they believe, but their actions. They love Christ. And they want to lean into Him and rest in Him and His strength. So Paul prays that they would know God through His Word. He prays that they would be enabled through the power of the Spirit that He provides. But there's something undergirding all of this. There's something undergirding the things that we've talked about for so far in verses 12 through 14. Look at it. Here's your third idea for this, this morning. The third truth. We need to live gratefully in light of God's grace through His Son. We live gratefully in light of God's grace through His Son. This is what Paul's saying. Here's the deal. If you go look at some of these passages that I've already mentioned, Paul always comes back to Christ, that he's sufficient, that he's enough, that he's preeminent, that all these other rituals and mysteries and secret knowledge and clickbait that you're looking for doesn't match the matchless power of Christ. And you see that at the cross. Look at verse 12 through 14. We give thanks. Why do we give thanks to the Father? third idea. What has he done? He's qualified you 
to have an inheritance with the saints. He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness. He's transferred us from the kingdom to his beloved son whom he loves. And in Christ, we have redemption and forgiveness. Do you see anything in verse 12 through 14 that says, I did this, anything? Can you qualify yourself for an inheritance with God and the saints? Can you transfer yourself from the kingdom of darkness, which is where you are in your sins, and the kingdom of light? Can you bring about your own redemption? Redemption is just a big word and basically saying somebody's got to pay off your debt. And in a biblical sense, we all, because of our sin, are on the slave ship of sin. And Christ has paid for our redemption. He's paid for that, that we might have life. Can you forgive yourself? We talk about this. None of those things are things that we can do. This is what God's grace has done through his son. Do you know that message? See, sometimes we come to church and we think that we can earn our way to God. But the reality is, is that we can't qualify ourselves for anything. We can't transfer ourselves to any kingdom other than the one we're in because of our sin. We can't redeem ourselves by our good works. Forgiveness only comes in the person and work of Christ. And so we give thanks. We live as thankful people, but think about the world that you live in. We don't spend much time giving thanks. This is unique. This is a sweet day because we can reflect. We forget. We're a forgetful people. This is why all the way through the scripture, God continues to say, remember, remember, remember. This is why we take communion. Because we remember Christ. We're not only a forgetful people and a thankless people. The world we live in likes to argue. I mean, if you go on social media, if you go on your news station, if you look at the top shows, they're all about people arguing about something. If I ask you to say three really great things about your spouse, I'm going to get people in trouble. You might struggle for a minute. Because all you're thinking about is what? Well, they didn't do the dishes, and they didn't do this, and they didn't do that. You can come up with ten things about your spouse or your kid or your parent that are critical. We're really good at critical thinking. But are we a thankful people? This is the air we breathe. And so we need to remember to give thanks. Listen, as a people that know Jesus, we have every reason to live with a glass half full. I mean, that's not to take away from hardship. That's not to take away from God caring enough about the little things of our life, about the hardships of our lives. But listen, the game's over. We know what the end means. We know what Christ has done. There's a full assurance that we have because of Him. I don't know about you, but when I go through hardship, I go through the year and a half that we've been through with the pandemic, and all the weird things that have happened in that culturally. You know what helps me? His word helps me. Songs. Are you that person? Where a song in my heart that reminds me to be thankful. That's where I go. What song is in your heart? What's the new song that you're singing? When times are tough. 
You know the Bible provides a new song? Revelation chapter 5. A new song that you and I can sing because of Christ and what He's done. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. And 12 and 13. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed the people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Look at verse 12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In verse 13, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. You want to know the riches of his grace and his power and his knowledge it's found in Christ finished work of Christ and what he's done that he has been slain in your place and in my place that puts a song in our heart is that song in your heart today whatever's going on especially in hardship especially in suffering when you look at Colossians you see the power of his might it helps us with endurance and patience and it even gives us joy in that this is the good news of the gospel. So let's be a church with a new song in our hearts. Let's continue to be a church with a new song in our hearts to live gratefully and thankfully for what Christ has done. And I'll mention COVID one more time, but I know a lot of churches, and Jonathan can talk to you about this too. A lot of churches that got Involved in majoring in the minors in the last year and a half. That were infighting and struggling because they lost sight of the main thing, the new song that Christ brings to us. And I would tell you, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be a pastor of the church, of a church whose people kept it together. Whether you agreed about masks or not, whether you agreed about different things in our culture or not, or how we do different things. I saw and I see a love for Christ and a thankful, grateful heart that permeates through this church to keep the main thing the main thing. So three things that Paul prays for this church, that they would grow in the knowledge of his will, that they would be strengthened by his might, that they would give thanks. Those are three great prayers for our church. Three great prayers that are way deeper than the menial things that we often pray for. Now there are important little things that we pray for for a church, but I can't think of better things to pray for than the spiritual growth and development of a church in the next 10 years. But here's the problem. I'm going to close with this. Here's the challenge of what that prayer represents. We often think we're kind of like the Energizer Bunny and, and you have to be a little older to appreciate this. But we just keep going and going and going. Let me tell you our biggest problem. Let me tell you every church's biggest problem with living this out. Self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. From the garden forward, self-sufficiency. See, we're often forgetful rather than thankful 
for the cross. We need to be reminded we often rely on our own strength and our own power, not that of the Spirit of God. We're often more impressed. Be honest. You're often more impressed with your others' thoughts than the thoughts of God and His Word. You know why? Because we are self-sufficient people. We think we can handle it. But you and I both know that only God is self-sufficient. It's only God who doesn't need something. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. He is self-sufficient. And He has shown His self-sufficiency in His Son, who is all-sufficient. Look at the words of Colossians 15 through 20. The very next verse that we get to from where we're at in this prayer. Here's what Paul says to this Colossian church. that's saying, I don't know, is it just Jesus or is it more? 15 through 20. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All, all, all. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God's not holding out on us. His son is sufficient. His son is preeminent. Your takeaway today is this. As we move into the next 10 years, C3, let's be a people of prayer, continuous prayer, trusting and resting in our all-sufficient Savior. See, the church is built and stands on Jesus, the self-sufficient, all-sufficient Savior. We can't build this thing on anybody else. Only Christ. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that all the riches and treasures of wisdom and power and knowledge and even deliverance from our own sin is not found in us, but it's found in Christ who gave himself for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him, that he laid down his life for the church that he loved. Lord, let us be a people who continue to pray. That we continue to pray that we would know God. That we wouldn't get sidetracked by the little things around in our culture that would sidetrack us from knowing you through your word. Make us a people who have deep roots. Like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water. We confess that we're often self-sufficient we try to be self-sufficient without need and knowledge and understanding and lord make us a people also who know that the power to walk this christian life doesn't come from ourselves that we can't pull up our bootstraps enough but the strength that you supply through your spirit enables us to walk to live to please you and we confess, Lord, that we often do that in our own strength. But we need the strength that you supply. Would you give that to us today? And Lord, make us a thankful people. 
a grateful people, not a forgetful people that forget the wonder of the cross, that it's you, God, who have qualified us and put us into a new kingdom that we don't deserve and called us sons and daughters and brought us into your family. That's not something that we pull off, but you pull off. And that you have last sent your son to deliver us, to redeem us, to forgive us of our sins. Let that be the song in our heart in which we worship and sing. We love you. And we thank you for this church. We thank you for the way that you've sustained it in the past. The way you have, are sustaining it now. And the way you will work in sustaining it moving forward. We love your church. You laid your life down for your church. Jesus did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.